Welcome to the teaching ministry of The Cause Church. We pray you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed as you listen to the Word of God. Your pastor preached at our church, and it was absolutely insane a few weeks ago. Honestly, it was a new measure of anointing unlike anything. He preached a whole message with like a smile and a tear in his eye. I don't know how anybody could preach like that. That is just so... I mean, I was so touched by that. My, my, my dad used to always say that a person can't really be used of God till their heart's been broken. And uh, they can be used, but they're really not in that next level until that happens. But boy, he preached with, a, with something that was so powerful. I didn't want to preach on Sunday. I just said, you know what? Everything he said on Thursday, just stay home and watch football. No, I'm just teasing. It was like, it was incredible. And I just love your family so much. Um, I love this church so much, and um, it's weird because this is um, a, a few, uh, eight weeks ago, I had three strokes on my brain out of nowhere. Three strokes. My brother is so mean, we play golf, he goes, I guess I got to give you three strokes now. I'm like, you're just a jerk, amen, you know, and it's, <laughs> it's a third service, you never know where this is going to go, folks, right? And, um, and so, uh, yeah, I just went through that in my life, and this is the first time I've actually preached multiple services, and not, and not just felt 100%, felt 110%, because I think I'm amongst family. I think I'm, because I'm amongst people that literally have saved my life more than one time. Years ago, I was uh, 20, in my 20s, and, and, um, and Pastor Bob asked me to come and speak here, and uh, I didn't know anything about your church. It was just one of those nights where I was so discouraged. I, I literally was in my 20s trying to pastor. I wanted to quit, and I was like this close from quitting. In fact, I was so close that your church would be my retirement sermon. I was going to be the youngest preacher ever to retire, right? You got to be famous for something. And so I figured I'm going to go out that way. And so um, I, as I was kind of preparing to retire, I get here, and then at the end, Pastor Bob says, we love the Dream Center. Back then, we were still kind of finishing the floors and trying to really make it work, you know, the concept. If you don't know much about the Dream Center, just imagine we have a 400,000 square foot hospital that houses hundreds of people free of charge every day. Homeless family, veterans, human trafficking victims, um, emancipated minors, kids who age out of foster care, who have nowhere to go. And, um, and so, the, of course, Pastor Bob is a champion from the very beginning and their whole family, the whole free family has. And so I, I got here and it was like a youth night or something. And at the very end of service, he just got up there and said, we're not leaving this place until 20 people stand up and give $1,000. I'm like, there's like a bunch of young kids and a few parents. How in the world is that going to happen? And uh, they, they, they got 20 people to give $1,000 that night. And that was a gift that kind of changed my life. I said, man, if people love us this much, I, I'm going to be a good investment. So I've been there 28 years. I was only supposed to be in L.A. for three months. I, got, uh, I came here at 20 because my dad couldn't find a pastor. So he helped me come for three months and pastor a church. I said, sure. And uh, he never found anybody, so I'm still here, right? It's like bad company. You never can get rid of them. So uh, turn your Bible to 1 Samuel chapter 17, and I'm just going to preach on the subject of outlast everything. Outlast everything. You know, we, we always say in our neighborhood, whoever stays the longest will win the battle of influence in our community. We've seen gang members come and go, uh, drug dealers come and go, liquor stores come and go, everyone come and go, but staying in the neighborhood, not leaving in 28 years and fighting for people has been the greatest testimony, amen? So here's, here's Goliath, the Philistines said, I defy the armies of Israel this day, give me a man that we may, we may fight together. And the Philistines said, I defy 
the armies of Israel this day, give me a man that we may fight together. Did I just repeat that? I did, didn't I? That's a stroke. I'm not, anyways, that went through. And the Philistines said, yeah, I'll read it a third time. Anyways, but it's, it's not my fault. It, it is my fault, actually, because I should read out the Bible. And, uh, and so he went on to say in verse 9, then the Philistines said, this day I defy the army. Give me a man, let us fight. And hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed, and they were terrified. They were dismayed and terrified. Lord, bless this word today. Use it for your glory. Encourage people. Inspire them to be everything you've called them to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever felt tormented in the morning and in the evening? Like, you got to a place in your life where you wake up in the morning, you think about the greatest mistake of your life, the greatest burden of your life, the greatest regret of your life, or you go to bed and you think of the same way. That's what Goliath was doing to the people. He was getting up every morning, and he was reminding people that he, he, the representation of fear, was in charge. And then at the evening time, he would come out and do his little old Jolly Green Giant speech and remind the people, fee fi fo fum, you can't do it, you, know, um, you can't overcome, I'm too big of an obstacle. And he would do it in the evening time. Why? Because that's always the enemy's plan. He will present himself in the morning to stop your momentum. He will come in the evening time to remind you, don't dare to even dream in your in your subconscious overnight, you know? He's, he's constantly trying to kill momentum in your life. He's constantly trying to destroy what possibly could happen because he's afraid of one small step. He's afraid of you taking one step towards anything that God has because he knows that there is far more momentum in what God can do than what fear can try to prevent. And so every morning he'd get up, give the same speech, and every evening he would do the same thing. And the reason why is he has no new tricks. He is constantly trying to slow down the freight train of possibility that God can do in the life of people. Like I said, when I was 20 years of age, I came to L.A. to pastor for three months. I was only supposed to be here, and I was discouraged. I remember looking out as a 20-year-old kid my dad was a pastor of a 10,000-member church, and I'm here in downtown L.A. and uh, trying to find one person to come to church. All my staff left me in the first 60 days. They got homesick, and they left, and I'm, I'm looking outside at the parking lot, hoping that one car would show up, and one time a car did, and I was so excited. I said, praise the Lord. We're going to have church tonight. That car showed up. Family got up and walked out, and they were walking towards the church, and then they take a hard left, and the guy goes into the liquor store. And uh, yeah, and so I was so discouraged. I just went right with him. No, I'm just, but uh, I, I was just so frustrated, and I was so like, you know, there was just no momentum. And every morning I'd get up, and the enemy would tell me, uh, you'll never be like the, the generation of pastors, like your, your grandfather and your father, you, you'll never be able to accomplish it. You can't, you can't relate to the neighborhood, and I couldn't. You don't know what's, what the community's like. I didn't know what it was like. You have everything working against you. And, uh, and one day, God just spoke to me, and he just said, I haven't called you into this neighborhood to be relevant. I've called you to be revolutionary. Be revolutionary. You don't have to be relevant. Just stay and fight and outlast everything. Outlast the liquor stores. Outlast the things of the neighbor that have been put there to hold people back for years. Outlast it. Love. Outserve it. Give everything. And so I had nothing left, but I just had a little old uh, desk. And I moved on the sidewalk, and, and uh, that was my office. And all the mamas would come by and bring their kids to school, and they'd be like, hola, bueno, which means whitey in Spanish. And then 
But I would put like five bags of groceries out there, you know, and I'd have like a candy and I'd give to the kids that little soccer ball, play soccer. And then they would come by and say, hola, abuelito, in Spanish, which means little whitey in Spanish. And, uh, but I just had developed such an unbelievable relationship. And then we had one home and then we had 14 homes in the neighborhood that were filled with people that were off the streets at the church. We owned a few of them and then we just kept like getting more and more. But those early days, man, trying to get momentum, the enemy does not like you to get up for one more day. He is afraid of 24 more hours because if you last one more day, you find what's called new mercy. And there's times where all you can give God is not one more year, one more month, but one more day. Because if you get to the next day, you'll wake up sometimes and you'll be like, wow, I felt this way going to bed at night, but now all of a sudden I'm ready to take on the day. What is that? That is just a reminder of God that he is in the next day. He is in the new mercies. And don't make a quitting decision when you're tired or weak. Get to the next day and find that God's mercy is available for you. And, and just all these crazy things. I remember my ushers were all guys from Skid Row. And, uh, and we'd be receiving the offer. I tell them, look, I need you guys to be my ushers. They're like, you mean God will use us? I'm like, yes. How? I said, because you're all that I have. Amen. I need you guys to get sober. Some of the guys would be like, you know, trying to get sober and receiving the offering and dropping the buckets and, uh, and, and, and just, it was wild, man. I would, I would get to the church and I wouldn't even plan a sermon because 90% of my church was homeless. I would just look at what's going on in the crowd. And I'd be like, okay, they're fighting over there. I'll preach on anger, you know? And uh, I heard a bottle drop. I'll preach on alcoholism, you know? And uh, I'd just get up there, just like look at the crowd, decide what I was going to preach based on what was going on, you know? And, and uh, I mean, it was tough in those days. I mean, we'd have a, we, had a, we had a guy one time, um, he in our recovery program, he was just a big old strong guy. He looked like Superman, like exactly like Clark Kent. And just a real strong guy. One guy was in the middle of service, and he was yelling and sitting, in, you know, and we had those old metal chairs just yelling. And this guy just walks right in, you know. He just, he just picks up the guy in the chair, like in the chair while he's yelling. He just walks him out, just like that in the middle of church, you know, and uh, with a pleasant smile on his face. And uh, the care ministry, he takes care of it, right? And uh, but just so many of those times back then where guys were just like getting their lives together. And then when we... Um, of course, moved in the Queen of Angels Hospital, the 400,000 square foot hospital that, that um, we bought when we only had $40,000 in the bank. We had $40,000 a year of offerings, and um, we just began to entertain the thought of what if. What if God would do a miracle and give us a $4 million building because the Catholic Church sold it to us for $4 million. They could have sold it for $16 million to Paramount Studios, who had an offer on the table. And the Catholic Church said, no, we want to sell it to you guys instead for $4 million. And we're like, praise the Lord, $4 million. Oh, by the way, during the pandemic, we were offered $95 million for the building. And so we took it. No, I'm just teasing. <laughs> But uh, for $4 million, and, uh, and, and, and so that was a lot of money back then. And so we literally, like, we were getting hate mail from people in, like, in the church. And they were saying, like, why are you guys buying that? You have no business buying a $4 million building. The economics don't make sense. $40,000 a year coming to your offering, it doesn't make sense. So I'm reading all this hate mail of people saying you're going to be a blight on the kingdom of God for taking on something that you can't do. And I'm reading this, and I'm not even mad at people. I'm, like, agreeing with my haters. I'm like, you are so right. <laughs> but I was more curious by going forward than I was by going back. And, and uh, that's what faith is. Faith isn't always believing that everything is going to just be perfect. You just, but what it is, is you continue to move your feet 
because you are more caught up in what God can do versus fearful of never even trying. Amen? And so we just like, I agree. In the natural, it doesn't make sense. And then we had these two guys that were negative in, in Arizona. When we left Phoenix, they said, um, don't go to L.A. They were really hard-hearted. They said, L.A. is like, this is their term, right? They were like, it's a third world country. Don't put money, invest in there. I mean, they were so mad. And they were like, and, and so they told my dad in Arizona, they go, if you go to L.A., we're going to quit your church. My dad said, okay, if you, I mean, if you need to, do it. And so they did it for a while. And one day they were in town on a business convention. They said, we want to see the Dream Center. And we're like, we're not going to show these guys. They're all negative, you know, and uh, put cold water in our dream. We just got a big old building, but we got no momentum or anything going on. And we were nine months into it. We had to raise $4 million in nine months. So we had nine months left, no money raised. So we were going to hear the I told you so right from the crowd. And, um, and so finally we ran out of excuses. We said, okay, we'll give you a tour. We had like a couple of people living in there back then. We're still, we had nine months to raise the money to, to own it. And, and they were just walking around this guy and, and he wasn't impressed. He was just kind of, we had a couple of great testimonies of the lies that were changed, not impressed. But then that night he said, I wanted to meet you guys over at Denny's, which is funny because these two millionaires want to meet at Denny's. Right, okay, on Sunset Boulevard, uh, Denny's over. And so we're, we're there. I mean, Sunset Boulevard and Denny's, man, that's like the bar scene of Star Wars. I mean, it's crazy crowd, man. And uh, so we were just sitting there, and uh, the guy orders four split pea soups at Denny's in the middle of the night. Four split pea soup, yeah. And, uh, back when they had it. And uh, so we're sitting there, and we're talking, and the guy starts trembling. He's like, Pastor, I want you to forgive me. I said, well, what's wrong? He said, like, he's having almost like a nervous breakdown. He said, I am so sorry. I go, what's wrong? He goes, I saw that building and I saw the possibility of hundreds of people living there every day and already the people that are living there. And I felt this was such a pure vision. My heart was so stirred. He said, but pastor, I was the biggest negative person in this vision. He said, I'm afraid God's going to kill me and take my life because God loves the people you're trying to help and I'm staying in the way. I feel like God's going to kill me if I don't do something. I'm like, well, what's going on? Okay, calm down. You know, you're good. And then um, he pulls out a checkbook and he writes out a check for $1 million. And he hands it to me. And he said, Pastor, would you please forgive me? And I said, you are forgiven in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Ghost. I'm throwing holy water and everything on the brother, you know. And he said, I got a son. He's got as much money as I do. I said, he's forgiven too. I don't even know him. And God took the greatest cynics and, uh, and just reminded us that there's power in going forward. There's power in your dreams. When you don't listen to the soundtrack of life and you listen to that soundtrack of heaven and what God is trying to tell you to do, you just got to keep moving forward. It doesn't, no, everyone doesn't have to agree with your dream. Most people won't because they don't know what's in your heart. It's not that they're bad people. They just don't know what's in you. You have just got to outlast then the naysayers and the critics and the people that say it's never been done before, don't fight them. Don't argue with people who don't believe in what you're doing. You just keep moving forward and you just keep taking one step at a time. And what's going to happen is one step adds up. We have 220 people in our drug and alcohol rehab program living for free in our building right now. We had 140 during COVID. We have 220 now. And that's a lot. When you talk about 220 people, that food, GED program, everything is paid for free of charge in the program. And uh, that's a lot of people. And they come into the program and the first question we ask them is, what is your dream? 
And it blows their mind because they're like, why are you asking me what my dream is when I'm addicted to fentanyl? Why are you uh, asking me what my dream is when I've been addicted to meth for most of my life? Why? Because that's what we do. We ask questions. We're God's people. We, we take on giants. We speak to giants. And the Bible says when there is no dream, there is no self-control. What? Which means that if someone doesn't have a dream, there's no reason not to join a gang. I always laugh at these people that say, well, these NBA players have all the money in the world, 19 years of age, and they make all these mistakes, and they have, you know, children, and all this stuff. I'm like, well, you know what? If there's no, like, God-given purpose, I'll be doing the same thing. I mean, you know, it's just like, when there's no revelation, there's no restraint. I mean, if there's no uh, God-given purpose to do something, I mean, all of us, well, what keeps us in the bounds of what is right and wrong is a God-given dream. Amen. And I go up to gang members all the time, and I tell them, I go, you're going to be my pastor. Well, one of my youth pastors one day, they laugh at me, and they're drinking their 40s, you know, on the street. And I'm just like, I, you can laugh all you want, but you're going to be, and you, know, and you know what? They act tough, but they love it. They love it that someone's speaking into their life, that someone sees a possibility. You know what I am? I'm, I'm a need hunter. I'm just going around looking for needs all the time and just looking for possibilities. My goal is to be so positive, I make Joe Olstein look negative. That's my dream. One day they're going to be like, I can't watch him. He's too negative. I got to watch Pastor Matthew, but he's not on TV. You got to go to Instagram and watch a 45-second grainy video. Anyways, but outlast. Outlast the critics. Outlast your greatest regret. Outlast the thing that, that keeps you up at night and you go to bed saying, why did I do that? No. Outlast it. Get up. Be faithful one more day because what's going to happen is you're going to change your past. And how do you change your past? By changing what you do right now. Because what you do right now is going to be your past tomorrow. And so when you, if you change today, tomorrow will be your... I have no idea what I'm saying. Please explain to me after service. But uh, by changing what you do today, what you do today will be your past tomorrow. So you can change your past. The world says you can. Yes, you can. You can change your past by making a decision right now to take one small step towards whatever God's called you to do. And King David looked at that giant. He said, why is this guy taunting us morning and night every single day? And he got angry and mad. He just said, you know what? I'm going to take on this giant. And he decided to take a shot. And he was probably considered reckless and irresponsible. But the world is never changed by people who think inside the the bounds of what is right and what is wrong and what's possible and what can and can't be done or what's right or wrong on paper, what the vision should look like. You step out and you trust God. I remember uh, during COVID a couple years ago, um, when, when COVID hit, we lost $1.5 million, boom, just like that. You know, and it costs, you know, $12 million a year to operate the Dream Center, a million dollars a month with hundreds of residents living there for free. Everyone lives there for free. Homeless families live there for free. And so when COVID hit, like we couldn't preach on the road, my dad and I, um, all of our youth group teams dried up, like 6,000 kids a year, you know, paying kids to come to serve and spend a week and do certain, all that was shut down. Like five revenue streams were shut down. And so I literally just cried. I told God, I said, God, it's over. And uh, have you ever been like, have you ever got to the place in your life where you just told God, well, you know, it's been a good run, God, but it's over. And I'm like, it's been a good run. I'm trying to tell God. Yeah, it's been good. Right, God? And he's like, yeah. But here's what I love about God. He always meets you at your place of rationale. He didn't judge me and say, oh, you've seen me come through so many times. You're going to do it again. This is what God just told me. He said, he literally spoke to me this real. He said, if you, th if you think that it's over, then just go ahead and finish how you started. 
And how he started was with a little desk, giving away food to people in the neighborhood. And that's how it started. God just said, just finish what you started if, if you're going to finish. God was up to something. And so uh, we put the little desk out there and we just told people we're going to have a little drive through if anybody wants to come by and get food. We didn't think it would turn into anything. And then like three families came by to get food and we were like, yeah, we're blessed to serve you. And then, and then it took off like a rocket. I mean, it was like all of a sudden, it, we, got, we ended up serving 5 million meals during the pandemic. People were eating three times a day, driving through. It was wild. 380 days in a row, in a row, 380. We were 11 hours a day serving people for the first 280 on the drive-through. It got crazy. It was like the dream center, we thought it was over. I mean, literally. And But yeah, God just started using this somehow to be a miracle. God said, go back to where it started and I'm, I'm going to watch me move. And we were watching it move and, and like people were at home. Nobody was out and about. And we didn't really know, like we can't hear and essential workers can go out and do stuff. We thought, well, we've been here 28 years. We've given $1.5 billion of economic improvement uh, to the community. We're saving like $25,000 per person from the prison system. So I just said, I knight myself as essential, right? And uh, I didn't fight. I just acted dumb. Like, I think I'm essential. Yeah, I am. You know, so we just started serving people, you know, and uh, sometimes it's good to just be dumb and go forward. It really is. And um, just act like you don't know what's going on. Just go forward, right? But people are driving through, and, and, and one week our councilman was like out there with us serving, and it just got so crazy. And then on Twitter, people were like sending stuff out, and like, and uh, it was wild. Like celebrities, I people I didn't even know. I look at my Twitter, I'm like, oh my goodness, who are these people? And then, and then like Kanye West calls and says, we want to give $100,000 to the Dream Center for your food line. I'm like, how do we know Kanye? But he's like, can I give $100,000 for your food line? I'm like, Wait till I get my money, right? I'm like, yeah, absolutely. And um, how do you know that song? Just, you shouldn't know that. And um, it's just out there, you know, just kind of like, it, it just turned into something so wild and so crazy. And God met me at that rationale where he said, you know what, just give me one more day. God's been playing that trick on me for so long. I, I used to, I quit three times the ministry when I was younger. I drove back to Arizona. I was on the 10 freeway, and I was going to quit. And I saw a Dairy Queen, and I said, okay, I'm going to stop at Dairy Queen. I'm just sitting there pondering my life, eating a peanut butter parfait. And the Lord spoke to me and said, you know what, just drive back and give me one more day. I said, okay, God used Dairy Queen three times to save my ministry. I mean, it short my life, but it saved the ministry. I mean, it prolonged the ministry. So I'm just, I'm just, like, just driving home, and now I wake up the next morning. I'm like, you know what? I'm starting to feel the fire shut up in my bones. You know, some of the greatest people in the Bible quit. Jeremiah quit. He went up to the mountains. He wanted to retire or the hill country. But the Bible says he couldn't because there's something called a fire shut up in his bones. He could not stop. I mean... Look at Elijah, you know, with the great victory that he had, the prophets of Baal, the greatest show, showdown, like the greatest UFC battle of all time, right? He wins the greatest victory. And, um, and all of a sudden, like in the next chapter, he's just discouraged because um, the, the queen had a little threat on his life. And he just knocked down all these, I mean, that we're human. We have things like that that go on in our life that sometimes derail us. But, but just God didn't judge him. He just sent the angels to minister to him, said, you're going to run again, but just... He, he gave him another visitation, and God's going to give you another visitation of your life. But you just got to pass through the, the checkpoints of quitting. There are checkpoints of blessing in your life that are beyond the point of wanting to quit. 
You got to get to the other side of that to experience that, what it's all about. When I, you know, I had these uh, three strokes eight weeks ago and I went, I was walking through the mall and, you know, like I said earlier, I had these strokes and I'm just like, I didn't know what was going on. I just was in the hospital and they were speaking death over my life and they were saying, we got to get to the hospital, he's not going to make it. And if you've had a stroke, one thing you know is that you're coherent. Like you, you, like people think that you're not, but you're coherent. So I'm hearing everybody's uh, speaking death over my life and I'm like trying to speak life over myself, but <laughs> cat would come out dog. Like I'd be like, Jesus, I love you. I'm like, oh, blah, 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 blah. but God knew my heart, amen, right? Couldn't speak one clear word. I was in the hospital and five minutes later, they gave me this little shot, boom. I started speaking again. The doctor's like, wait, our medicine's good, but it's not this good. And he had all these doctors gathering around and like, we want to talk to you about what's happened in your life. And, uh, and just, you know, eight weeks ago, thinking that I couldn't do this. And up here, three times, you see, the enemy's always going to try to get you to think that whatever you want in life is too far. He's always going to create that illusion that's, oh, it's, it's way out there. It's way out there. The enemy is in the way out there. God is in the right now. He's in the right now. And some of you don't believe the illusion the enemy is like always making you feel. You get closer to maybe what God calls you to do, but he makes you feel like it's elusive. It's so far out. But it's not. I mean, 70% of my staff members are graduates of our drug and alcohol rehab program. We got ex-pimps and murderers, and that's just a pastoral staff. That's not including everybody else we got going on, you know? And I mean, you know you got an outreach church when the ushers wear ankle bracelet monitors, then you know you got an outreach church. I mean, you know you got to, <laughs> when the preacher says, can I get a witness? And everyone's like ducking, you know? And uh, I mean, the other day, I mean, this is the craziest story I've ever heard in my life. The service is over. We had security cameras. Uh, church is long gone. The guy's packing up, right? Um, the, the sound guys up in the sound booth. Some guy from the street walks in, and we had this on video, and I'm, we're going to show it one of these days when he, this guy's ego gets done. And, um, but he's just, the uh, sound man, just packing up. And some random guy up the street just walks up to him and, and from behind pulls out a pie and puts it in his face and just walks out. And just like, and so we have a video of our sound guy like running like this with a pie in his face trying to chase the guy rolling down the stairs. That's the kind of crazy church that we have. We got random people putting pies in the face of our sound guys. I mean, you got, it's kind of creative if you think about it. I was kind of admire the fact at least it was a pie. It wasn't something else, you know. But I mean, when the Bible says go and preach the world to every creature, we got, we got some strange folks out there. Amen? And everything that God's called us to do is not the people that I thought would be called to serve. I mean, I never thought that this would be the kind of ministry that God would give me. And I never thought this was in my heart. But here's the thing about sometimes your dream has to go to rock bottom. Because God doesn't destroy dreams in rock bottom. You know what he does? He recreates dreams in rock bottom. And the best thing that could ever happen in your life is your dream to go to rock bottom so that God can reset and put things in your heart that you didn't even know that was there. My dream had to die, but God's dream was helping addicts. That was not even in the five-year plan. That wasn't even in the thought process of coming to the city of L.A. When everything died and nobody was left, and I was wandering the streets of L.A. for several hours on a prayer walk and seeing the need in the city, God began to speak to me. He said, I want you to dream from a place of rock bottom and found that some of you today are in the same situations where you have gone to rock bottom over the last two years. Well, can I congratulate you? Because at that point, there's only one place you can go from rock bottom, and that is up. Amen. 
God's about to recreate something brand new. And he's going to put dreams in your heart that you never knew that you had, that only brokenness can reveal. The dream is not, the issue is not the dreams that you have, but it's the dreams that are trapped in your heart that only serving and helping others can reveal. God's about to bring that out of every one of you. For years, I close with this. I'm, yeah, I'm going to be early. Six minutes, 53 seconds. I'm, I'm going to do it. Amen. But every day, uh, I drive down the 101 freeway, and there's this homeless man living under the bridge. Every day, 18 years, never left, always under the bridge. I try to reach him. I mean, I pull to the side, hey, man, I'll give you like uh, $5 if you talk to me for 10 minutes. Nope. And then I, I up the ante, $20. Nope. And then, uh, he, I mean, he did not want to talk. And he did, his scripture was, I shall not be moved. This guy would not move, you know, he was just there. And I, and I, try, I mean, literally tried everything. Nothing worked. 18 years. One day, youth group comes in town. Teenage girls on a missions trip from Oklahoma. She comes up to me. She said, Pastor, I heard there's a man living under that bridge. I said, yeah, I've been there a long time. She said, I'm going to go minister to him, and I'm going to bring him to the Dream Center, and we're going to get him some food in the food line that we do about 1,300 hot meals a day, and we're going to get him a, a, a meal in the food line. And I looked at her. I didn't believe her because I've been trying for 18 years. I want to make sure she could do something I haven't been able to do for 18 years. At least that's what I thought, but my dad told me that in ministry, if somebody tells you that they're going to do something and you don't believe it, you never know what's in their heart, so you, you can't say no. You just look them in the eye and say, well, praise the Lord. She said, I'm going to go get that guy. I'm going to bring him to the dreams. I said, well, praise the Lord. And she went under the bridge. She said, sir, you're coming to the dream center. He said, no, no, no. Yeah, yes, you are. She like grabbed him by the hand and like forced him to the food line. He's standing there. I'm like, how did you do it? What did you say? She said, well, my youth pastor back in Oklahoma told me that we ought to compel people to come into the house of the Lord. And that word compel in the Greek, that's when it gets scary. That word compel in the Greek means to physically force them into the house of the Lord. Well, sometimes you got to go gangster for Jesus, right? I mean, it's like, amen. And every day he'd come by, he'd get food in the line, but he didn't want to change. You know, we had all these Bible studies and, and like people to pray for you. He didn't want any of that. He just wanted his free food. He wanted to go back under the bridge. We kept trying and trying and trying. And, uh, and I was getting mad at God. I'm like, God, this guy doesn't want to change. All he wants is free food. He's just abusing the system. Are we even being a good steward? Because all he's doing is just getting free stuff. He doesn't want to talk to anyone, pray. He doesn't want any spiritual growth. And then God spoke to me. This is what God spoke to me. He said, let this guy get all the free food that he wants. Because if you want to be a bridge, you've got to allow yourself to be walked on if you want to be a bridge. Let this man get all the free stuff. And he did. But one day, he's in the food line. And, that, and that's what I'm trying to tell people in L.A. about homelessness. It's relationship. You, it takes years to invest in a relationship before someone makes a decision. And um, so I'm talking, to, and so he comes up to me. He said, um, I heard your rehab program is pretty good. And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, I want to go into your program. Now, our program is not like the ones in Malibu where they give you massages and whirlpools and, and like, uh, yeah, none of that stuff. Like, our rehab program is beans and rice in Jesus Christ. I mean, that's what it is, you know, and, he said, I want to go into a one-year program. There's like five million steps. There's no hospital, right? And uh, he, he, I said, well, you want to go to the program? He said, yes. I said, praise the Lord. He checked himself in the program like, oh, man, I don't think this guy's going to make it. He gets through 30 days. He gets through 60, 90, 180, graduates the program in one year, goes to Bible school, gets his degree at Bible school, and homeless Barry is now... Pastor Barry, he's been on staff with me for 10 years after living under the bridge for 18 years. Amen?
And every time I could, now he runs our shelter for the people who aren't ready to go into rehab. They can just go in the homeless shelter. And I go, how you doing, Barry? And all these guys, you know, around him, they're just like detoxing, just trying to, you know, kick. And they're just, it's hardcore. You walk in there, it's like, whoa, this place is intense. I go, how you doing, Barry? And he's like, I'm just, I'm just blessed by the best. He's like Mr. Cliche. You know what I mean? He's like, blessed by the best. And I said, uh, and he goes, I'm just a 24-hour miracle, 24-hour miracle. I thought, yeah, that's right, 24-hour miracle. You just never know what can happen if you hang on. There's times when you feel like you can hang on for decades. There's times you feel like you can hang on for a year. And there's times that you feel like you can only hang in for a day. That's okay. The Bible says a smoking flack he shall not quench, which means if there's just a little bit of stick left, uh, smoke left on that stick, there's a chance for a fire to burn again. And some of you came to church today, there's a little smoke left and a resemblance of a former fire. That's okay. Give it to God because he will not quench a smoking flack. He will turn into a mighty fire again. Samson, the Bible was once great. He lost it all. They gouged out his eyes. They threw him in prison. And while everybody was partying, saying, look at the great Samson. And their party got dry. They couldn't spice it up anymore. They said, let's just bring out the old prisoner, Samson. And let's just mock him because we have nothing else to do. The, the alcohol is not hitting the same as it used to. The, the drugs aren't hitting the same. Let's just bring out that old dude, Samson, that used to be great. And let's make fun of him. And they did that for a long time. But the Bible says of Samson, there's a scripture in the Bible, it's so powerful, it said, while he was in prison, the hair of Samson's head began to grow again. And while they were drinking and living it up, this dude was getting stronger and stronger day by day in the prison, in the cave. He was just grinding it out, trusting God, lost his eyesight, lost everything. Nobody saw what was left in him. And they mocked him one too many times because at the end, all these... Um, false gods and everything. He stands with the pillars and he said, one more time, God, show him who's boss. And the old Samson comes out and destroys more people in his final curtain than all the great feats he had in his life coming up before then. Why? Because God is not done with our lives yet. Some of your hair is, gonna grow, is starting to grow again. Some of your hair is never going to grow. That's okay. Your spirit is growing anyways, but I promise you, I close with this. In 2021, I was driving around the neighborhood in, in um, L.A. December, and it was kind of the, towards the tail end of, of COVID that was happening. Um, we're kind of moving into the new era. And we haven't had a big outreach in a long time. I mean, and so I said, you know, let's, look, we want to do one big outreach coming back. And so um, it was kind of time was a little bit different than 2021. People were kind of open to it. But they just weren't ready to invest that much time and resource. And I was driving around the neighborhood and I said, you know what? I, we've got to do something for Christmas. There wasn't one light in the neighborhood, not one Christmas light. It was just so dark and been that way for so long. And I said, we just need to do the biggest outreach LA's ever seen. We're going to do it right now in December, 2021. And I talked to this guy. I said, man, can you give me presents? He goes, I'll give you 20,000 presents. Another guy gave like five, we had a thousand bicycles and 20,000 presents. And I was driving around and I was just like, we just need to get some light up in here in this neighborhood. And I said, let's just don't do the presents and the toys. Let's just light this place up and let's just make it crazy. Let's just do something that everyone can look and just be wow. And, and uh, so we decided to light up the place and I uh, had the biggest Christmas party. And as it was going on, the helicopters were flying over in LA and they were like, there's a great light that is shining in the city of Los Angeles. 
And the traffic control is like, we don't really know what's going on right now, but there's a glorious light and there are trains and like, and we decided to do the biggest outreach. We had carousels. We had trains that were coming through. We had $25,000 of cash given away for families in the rents. And I saw that picture and then I saw the darkness behind it. And I said, God, may we just shine brighter as the world gets darker. May our contrast be more incredible. May it just get so bright. And the Bible says that when, when the light gets brighter, it makes a bigger difference in the middle of dark times. So we can curse the darkness or we can just celebrate the fact that our light is going to be brighter than it's ever been before by contrast. And we can just celebrate being the light of the world. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. But when he left, he told his disciples, now you are the light of the world. And I tell my kids all the time, I don't say, oh man, you were born in horrible times. It was better when I was a kid. I don't tell them that. I said, you know what? You were born for this day. This is the greatest day to be alive right now. You're in the greatest era. God must love you so much. You were born in this time because you're going to stand up and be an unbelievable light for Jesus when people are tired and discouraged. You were born for this moment. You were born be a person of the light in the middle of darkness. You're going to shine brighter than ever before. Don't quit. Don't despise one more day. Give God whatever you have left. It doesn't have to be a year, a month. Just outlast everything that would try to define you and hold you back. Every head bowed, every eye closed, and you're, you're here today and say, Pastor, I'm away from God. last couple years, darkness has just kind of flooded my soul with discouragement, depression, death, struggles, battles, fears, anxieties. I feel trapped in my own self. I feel like I'm in a prison that I created for my own life, and I'm just, I'm there, and I just want out. I want to be free. I want to know what it's like to just not let life live me. I want to live life. I want to know Christ. And I just want to say, Jesus, here I am. I give you that smoking flack that is left. I give you my sin. I give you my brokenness. God is the only one that wants your brokenness. He loves your brokenness. He loves your, He loves to take the brokenness of your life. Nobody else wants it. The world will cast you aside when you can't give your best. But God wants you at your worst. Today, you're away from God or you've never accepted Christ. But when I say three, I want you to raise your hand. We'll say, tonight, today is the day I want to know Christ. I want my light to begin to shine. I want to, to contrast the way I was yesterday, but I also want to contrast the way I live in, the, in this world. I want to make a difference. I want to be a difference maker in, in, my, in the way my light shines in this world. When I say three, I want you to raise your hand and say, I just need to surrender to Jesus and get my life right with God. I want to know Christ is my Lord and Savior. Are you ready? One, two, three. Lift them up all over this room. Just lift them up. They're going up everywhere. Okay, hands are being raised. Just keep raising. This is awesome. Keep raising them. Yes, 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 yes. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Yes, right there. Yeah, 15 more seconds. Praise God. Yes, right there. Hands are still going up, yeah. Is there one last? Praise God. Praise God. Just keep raising your hands. Everyone together in this church, repeat these words after me. And let's just believe them from the depths of our soul that God is able to save you because he is. Are you ready? Together, repeat these words. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross that I will be saved. I repent of my sin and I give you my life. You died for me. Now I live for you.
In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I love you so much, church. Thank you. This has been the most glorious three services being with every single one of you. God bless you. Thanks for listening to this message from The Cause Church. For more information about The Cause or for further resources, visit our website, thecause.cc or call 714-255-0930.